Amen. Please remain standing and hear the words of our God. Be in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through the first four verses of chapter 6. And these are the words of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. That's the reading of God's word. Let's ask his blessing. Heavenly Father, bless this reading of your word and bless now the preaching from your word. Open up our hearts to the work of your spirit as this word is proclaimed. Let it penetrate every area of our thinking and living and be glorified in this sanctifying work. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Last Lord's Day, I began a short series on marriage, and previously we saw from this passage and other passages that marriage is God's idea, and it's defined by Him, which is uh, surprising to the world around us. Marriage is God's idea, not ours. It's not for us to decide and define. It's not for the government to decide and decide. God instituted this. Uh, he, has the, he placed the parameters and the purposes for marriage. Through marriage, the gospel is preached, we saw as well. Through marriage, the gospel is preached. A, a marriage is constantly declaring the love of Christ for his church and the responsive submission of the church to um, her Lord. And through faithful set families, God, societies are built. We saw that this is the way God has intended to build societies and culture, through families. Families and the institution of families, husband and wife, and their children over generations build societies. In this work, husbands particularly take on a role. And that role has been referred to as patriarchy. He takes on the role of a patriarch, that is the head of the family. Their leadership, the husband's leadership, which must be under submission to Christ, provides masculine, protective, and representative rule. Masculinity, what says masculine rule is not machoism. Masculinity could be best defined. Doug Wilson defines it. I think it's a good definition. Masculinity is the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. Masculinity is the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. And when men obey God in these roles and in this way, there is absolutely nothing toxic at all for women or for society. Rather, instead, it is a great blessing. I chose four words 
uh, part of, to begin my title to this sermon, four of the most toxic words um, in our society, at least considered toxic today. Husband, father, patriarchy, masculinity. Enough to get me arrested, I'm sure. But, but there's nothing toxic at all about these words if we understand them and live them out biblically. There, there, there's, there's nothing about these words that are toxic, and there's nothing about these words that should cause triggers. Instead, rather, we should receive them and what they point us towards to what we are to be with great blessing and great thanksgiving to God. But first things first. If we're going to talk about husbands, fathers, we're going to talk about patriarchy, we need to talk about first things first. Um, it, it says in Ephesians 5.25 that husbands must love their wives. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. The only way a man can obey this verse to love their wife is if first he knows how Christ loved the church. If you don't know how Christ loved the church, then you can't obey this verse because you don't know how Christ loved the church. Therefore, you don't know what it means to love your wife. A man who is going to love his wife, obeying this verse, must know how Christ loved the church. And this means that he must know personally and deeply the love of Christ. A man must know personally and deeply the love of Christ for himself, for his body, for, 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 that Christ has for his body, and that Christ has for him personally. These are not abstract principles that anyone can just apply to better their marriage. You cannot go to the Bible and, and pick up a bunch of principles if you, don't, if you aren't first submitted to the love of God, the Father, through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Spirit for you, then they're just going to be empty principles. But if you have received the Lord, if you are transformed, if you have died to yourself and been risen again in Christ, then these principles are not simply principles at all. They're the means to building the kingdom of God through families and family structures. It changes everything. So this fruit, this is fruit, not principles, but this is fruit that comes from a tree of its own nature. Don't think of it as things that you're supposed to kind of take and grab, but rather things that must come out from you because of who you are now that you are in Jesus Christ. Fundamentally, a husband is faithful to his duties only if he has faith in the Son of God. Jesus Christ was lifted up on the cross to draw all men to himself, not simply to be a good example. He is a good example, but he did not die on the cross simply to be a good example. He did not die on the cross simply to show, for instance, that um, to love your wife means you need to love her a lot. That's not what's going on. Something else far more fundamental is going on. Um, rather, what he's doing is bringing life from the dead. He is transforming. His love is transformative for his bride. So the question, first of all, to the men, but to everyone understanding what it means. Remember, I said this last week. I'm not, I'm not just preaching um, a series of messages with practical helps to all the different members of the family. I, I'm talking about what family is in a culture that doesn't know anymore, that is rejected. I'm, and I'm talking uh, about what family is, what husbands are, what fathers are, what wives are, what, what mothers are, to, to a culture um, that is attacking the church and has, in fact, um, come into the church in many ways. We need to learn. We need to grow up in our understanding of these roles. So, do you see Jesus Christ lifted up for you? Do you see Jesus Christ lifted up for you for the transformative work of his work on the cross for you? dying for you, being buried for you, raised up again for your justification, 
and then empowering you by the power of his spirit as he ascends on high and sits at the right hand of God, now ruling over all of heaven and earth in full and complete authority. Authority is not a bad word either. Authority is what Jesus Christ has. Full and complete authority over you. Over you. Have you called upon his name? Have you believed that he was raised from the dead? First things first. It is also a call, if you're going to be a father, if you're going to be a husband, it is also a call fundamentally of discipleship, of following the Lord Jesus Christ, of imitating him, of, of, of doing what he says, when he says it, and how he says to do it. For a man to truly love his wife, in fact, he must love someone else even more than his wife. He must love his wife second with his first love being to the Lord himself. Luke 14, Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ comes far above loyalty to anyone or anything else. A call to be a good father, a good husband, a call to build faithful societies with family structures that are strong and godly requires, requires absolute loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. Absolute loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. His life, your life, must now be a life crucified in Christ and live by faith in the grace of God. As Paul says in Galatians 2, to almost every marriage problem that exists, almost every marriage problem that ever existed, the husband should always concern himself first with this. Do I love the Lord Jesus Christ? Have I given my full and complete loyalty to him? Because that's where it always must start. That's where it always must begin. Has his grace had its way with you? Has his grace had its way with you? Because being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is not a ball and chain. Being a disciple of Lord Jesus Christ is a cup of grace. It's an overflow of blessing. It is the outpouring of his spirit that bears the fruit of the spirit outside of you. It is a glorious joy to be a slave to Jesus Christ. It's this, it's this weird paradox. You must die. You must give it all away. Everything. All of it. And you receive all of it back in great blessing, crowned with glory as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the work of discipleship. And this is why it is so important that we, each one of us, gives ourselves and our loyalty first to Jesus and then to our family and then to our wife. So has his grace had its way with you? This is where it must begin. We're in the middle of Ephesians chapter 5 and 6 right here, which is the, the middle or the second section of Ephesians. Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, full of commands to disciples. Just full of commands, all kinds of things that you must do. But they, they come on the heels of the first three uh, chapters of Ephesians. Do you know this? And the first three chapters of Ephesians have not a single command but simply declarations of truth, of who we are, who you are in Christ, what Christ has done for you. You never obey God. You always, therefore, obey God. You always obey God out of what he has given you, out of what he has done for you, out of where he has led you. This is not a religion of works. This is a, this is a religion of outworking, of outworking what God is doing in us. 
And, and, and this, you know why husbands need to get this? Because they need to instruct their children. They need to lead their wives in the same way. With an outpouring of grace. With an outpouring of giving and overflowing love and affection. That, 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 and where do they get that? Well, they get that as an overflow from what they have received in their own discipleship, in their own following of Jesus. So Ephesians 1 through 3 has to have its way with you before you ever do anything in Ephesians 4 through 6. And, and that's why I believe that the prayer, if you turn to the end of chapter 3 of Ephesians, is so important. And side note, husbands, this, this ought to be a prayer for your wife. This ought to be a prayer for your children. Wives, this ought to be a prayer for your husband. And this ought to be a prayer for your children as well. Ephesians 3.14, for this reason, because of everything I just said in the last three chapters, Paul is saying, the first three chapters, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend, get your mind around, with all the saints, what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's a prayer. That is a prayer for you to pray for your family and for yourself. God, fill me with a, a comprehension of the love that has been declared over me through Jesus Christ and empowered by God's Spirit. Now, I want you to look back uh, on the beginning of this prayer, though, again. For this reason, Paul writes, I bow my knees to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Interesting choice of words. We are to pray to God our Father, in the Greek that is the pater, from whom the whole family, that is the patria, the whole family, the definition of, of, of patria, patria is a lineage running back to some progenitor. So the, for the whole family, all families, all, the whole idea of family, the whole idea of patria, of a patriarchy, the whole idea of this comes from the father, pater. Well, it's not, sometimes we get it mixed up. We think that we call God father because he's kind of like fathers. It's the other way around. Fathers, you're called fathers because the role that you are to have is like God the Father. He is the perfect father. He is the eternal father. He is the eternal progenitor, the one from whom all things come. And the one that, and the one that takes responsibility for everything. So we pray to God our Father, Pater, from, the, from, uh, from whom the whole family, Patria, in heaven and earth is named. This is where we get the word patriarch. Now, patriarch is just two, is a compound word. Patri, uh, pater, um, father, and arche, rule. So a patriarch is one who rules, arche, as a father. And those two ideas must go together. Rule implies authority, and father implies a covenantal structure with personal masculine leadership. God the Father has built patriarchy into the very fabric of the cosmos because he is a patriarch, because he is God the Father. It's not a question of whether men will be ruling, and it never has been, but which ones and how. The exception, when we find in, in times where women are temporarily ruling, 
It's, it always is due to absent or abdicating fathers who are not taking their role, who are not taking their place. And so the exception simply proves the rule. Father rule, patriarch, father rule. What does this mean, father rule? Well, we looked last, we looked last time at Adam and, and how Adam was a covenantal head, a father of a people, a father of all the people, all humanity. He had this place of covenantal headship. And so Adam is established as the first human patriarch, and he blew it. He blew it. Patriarchy, father rule, describes the practice of men providing for and protecting women and children. Adam was to rule his family, and he ruled poorly. He was to be a masculine leader, for he was the covenant head. Remember, masculinity is the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. Is, do we see Adam providing and protecting his wife? Do we see Adam, once she falls, taking, uh, when, she, when she sins, do you see him taking glad sacrificial responsibility? Do you see when, when, he is, when he is brought before the Lord and questioned as to what in the world has happened, do you see him taking responsibility for it all? Instead, when something went wrong in his family, Adam said, but God, she gave me the fruit and you gave me the woman. That is the definition of a wimp. That is the definition of someone who refuses to take responsibility, but instead points, making excuses. Sun was in my eyes. The covenant, this is, this is what, what happened because of this, was, had dire consequences for all of those that were under then his patriarchy, under his covenant headship. Westminster Confession, uh, uh, Shorter Catechism, number 16, says, The covenant being made with Adam, not only for himself, but for his posterity, all mankind, descending from him by ordinary generation, sinned in him and fell with him, in his first transgression. We saw this. This comes out of Romans 5, verse 12 and verse 17. Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Death did not spread and sin did not spread to all mankind because of Eve's sin, but because of Adam's sin, because he was the covenant head. He was the patriarch. Romans 5.17, then for if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ, through the second Adam, the second patriarch of the new humanity. So being transferred from the one humanity gets us out of this place where sin has been placed upon us and death and all of the curse and instead placed under the new Adam who obeyed God perfectly who obeyed God actively and passively as well, who obeyed God and, and took for upon himself our sin, cleansing us so that we might be able to be reconciled to God the Father. He took responsibility for his bride. God, who is rich in mercy as a ruling father, sent his son to be a new Adam. That man gave his life for the sins of his bride. That man gave his life for the sins of his bride. The first Adam disobeyed at a tree, and the second Adam obeyed on a tree. That is patriarchy. That is true patriarchy. And so patriarchy is built into all the cosmos. It's built into redemptive history. We cannot escape it. We can only mess it up 
We cannot escape it. So, how did patriarchy then get such a bad name? Well, a lot of different ways. Uh, just choose any male name and there would be one of the reasons. We all mess it up so many ways. But there's a couple of things we can look at and learn to repent from. There are two bad ditches with regard to, to patriarchy. There's two places where we're not taking responsibility. We're not being patriarchs. One is the wooden patriarchy, and the other is the spineless patriarchy. The wooden patriarchy is the patriarch, the man who bellows and laments through his house, why won't they follow me? Like, I'm the patriarch. I'm the head. That's a wooden patriarch. And the spineless patriarch is the, is the one who always asks, look, let's just make it easy. What would you like to do? What would you like to do? In both situations, what we have are husbands and fathers who will not take responsibility, but place the blame somewhere else. And, if, and, and, and when they don't take responsibility, they don't have authority because authority flows to those who take responsibility. Authority flows to those who take responsibility. Each man has his sinful tendencies, and we all, all so, so, so some of us have a tendency to lean towards the wooden patriarch. Look, woman, here's what it said. What's your problem? And others have a, a, a careen to the other, other, uh, other side, to the other ditch, which is, um, dear, what would you like to do? I don't want to cause any trouble here. And both of, uh, both of them are things that we careen one to the other. And, and in any event, we need to repent of both, take responsibility for everything, stop making excuses, be a man, and take everybody with us to Christ. And I'll explain that in just a minute. Now, there is an evil patriarchy as well, um, a, a, an imposed evil patriarchy that exists in rebellion against God. Patriarchy is the natural and inevitable state of the world, but just because something is natural does not mean that it cannot be twisted. Our culture has twisted patriarchy in the following way. It has been wooed to a Marxist, Darwinist, socialist view of the state and family. And this is a religious view. This is not simply a political view. This is a view that is destroying the rule of the father in his home. The father no longer has authority by, by declaration of the state more and more and more. And, uh, and tearing apart the rights of the families, particularly by taking away the need for families. You don't need a family, the state says, we'll take care of you. You don't need a family to provide for you, we'll provide for you. You don't need a family to protect you, we'll protect you. And as they promise more and more, what happens is there's this evil patriarchy that, that, that begins to, to take over because the civil authority has not been granted that kind of patriarchy, not that, not that kind over the family. What happens, it crushes masculine leadership, they're looking to do so, and enslaving us to the state as our savior, the state as our patriarch. The state as the one that will build, be the building blocks of society as opposed to families. Uh, a lot of these ideas come from a book just written recently by Michael Foster. And in, in that book, he's talking about uh, the natural aggressive instincts of boys and young men made to fight and build things, to develop masculine traits, which the devil, he writes, and the devilish state want to subdue. These natural aggressive instincts of boys, different than girls. We had uh, our, um, two of our grandkids living with us as our, with our daughter this last month while um, our son-in-law was out. Uh, uh, he had a 
class that he had to take for several weeks. So she was with us and we had a, our two-year-old granddaughter and our just turning one-year-old grandson living with us. And uh, granddaughter had, she had a, a little uh, push cart with her, a little stroller with her little baby and a little bottle for the little bit. She pushed the, pushed it around, take care of her little baby. She was out of the room and um, my grandson was in there and, and uh, he sees the stroller and nobody else is around, doesn't see me watching. And he, he, uh, he goes and grabs the stroller and the, the milk bottle falls out and he picks up the milk bottle and throws it at the baby, <laughs> hits the baby. Then he takes the stroller and he goes, and he's walking, just barely, he's walking. He just starts pushing the stroller as hard as he can, right up against the wall, crashes it against the wall, and the baby falls out. And he looks at me and he goes, <laughs> I'm sure that they didn't teach him that. Let's give you little instructions on how to break things. This is the natural aggressive instincts of boys and young men. And um, here's what uh, Foster writes. He says, young men, um, in, in, this, in this attack by the, the state, young men are always the target of an evil patriarchy to subdue them, to harness them for their own good, or to subdue them or destroy them, who want to enslave them for their own ends. But like Rome, they offer bread and circuses. Fruitless pursuits to escape into, rather than doing the hard work of fighting, building. In our day, the technique has been perfected with porn and, to a lesser extent, video games. Men who are hooked up like junkies to the dopamine drip of virtual fornication and fake dominion are worthless for the task of being fruitful in real life and imposing genuine order on their worlds. Also, he says, we are living in a world of fatherless males who don't know how to rebuild the walls of society. They have become clueless bastards. They know how to build, explore, and conquer in video games. The reason that God creates man on the earth, according to Genesis, is for productive representative rulership. This is what it means to exercise dominion to fruitfully order the world in God's stead. And he writes this, he says, there's no hint in the Bible that your aggressive instincts are a result of the fall, which is, which is, counter, which is against what our society and culture is teaching. Boys need to calm down. They need to quiet down. They need to be more gentle. But there's no hint in the Bible that your aggressive instincts are a result of the fall. You are not, in other words, a defective woman. Or you could put it this way, boys are not supposed to grow up to be sweet little girls. Your desire to conquer and to subdue, to hew down and to build up, to form and to shape has nothing to do with the curse. It is man's natural pre-fall created purpose. You yearn to bend the world to your will because Adam was created to bend the world to his will. Where things go wrong is not with our natural yearnings, but with our wills themselves. We are to do these things on behalf of God. But when Adam refused as God's son, we refused in him. And that rebellion is the part that needs to be mortified, not the natural aggressive instincts to begin with. This is the work of twisting with patriarchy or trying to keep men away from growing up to be godly men, godly leaders. Men are made for dominion and men are made to lead. Men are made for dominion. They're to take dominion. Men, husbands, are to take dominion, but not over their wives. 
And that's where we get it wrong so often. They are to take dominion with their wives. It was not good for man to be alone, so God made for him a helper, comparable to him. Not, to take, not for something else for him to take dominion over, but for with her to take dominion over the world. In Christ, head and body, in Christ, head and body, disciple the nations. Jesus, ascending to the throne, turns to the church, turns to the apostles, and says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now you go and disciple the nations. Right? He gives to the body so that head and body together are in charge of discipling the nations. In Christ, head and body disciple the nations. In Christ, there is a king and a queen. In Christ, high priest and church together approach God. The church is to approach God in worship and does so with Christ in his name. These are things that we do together. The dominion work that we do together in Christ. And, 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 and the husband is to imitate Christ in this as the head. But we must not think as egalitarians in this. Men and women are equal in value and worth, but the scripture rejects a functional equality. God designed men and women to take dominion together, but to do so with different relations and roles in human relationships, in marriage and in the church and in society. For instance, men make money and women make people. And that can bother you can bother the women to hear that, but there's a reason. So men make money, which is a sign of dominion. Sign of dominion. They've gone up and made stuff. They're providing. They're taking dominion. Women, fundamentally, make people. Now, what's more important? Money or people? If you're going to fill the earth. <laughs> okay? Men make money, dominion, and women make people, dominion. But our culture has so de devalued people so devalued the importance of people and people-making, for instance, our whole abortion industry, a complete and utter um, destruction of what it means to be nurture, life-giving people. And then the overvalued career and personal fulfillment that brings forth a daycare center, state-run education, because I don't want to be bothered by these, these children to pursue what, uh, what is most important to me, that we miss the point. We miss the point and the blessing. In addition, fathers are to take dominion, but not over their children. They are to take dominion with their children. So husbands and wives together create a, bring forth a family that he has complete responsibility over, and she brings forth the nurturing, the household, the home, the place where all the nurturing takes place. And the children there are also not his slaves. They're not his subjects. They are arrows to be fashioned, to stand with him against the enemies of the gate. They are to be the next generations, the one who, ones who stand on our shoulders and take the gospel in his kingdom further and further. Men are made for dominion. And men are made also to lead. Absolutely. Men are made to be leaders. But where? But lead where? Where should they be leading? And this is where I want to come back to, where are we to be taking everybody? What does it mean to lead? Well, since the chief end of marriage and the chief end of man, we determined, is to glorify God, then the chief role of husbands and fathers is to lead those under their care to Christ. Lead your people to Christ. Lead by example, 
lead by imitating Christ himself who brings us to the Father. Are you the first to be in the word in your home? Are you the first in the word? Are you the first to be singing the psalms and worshiping robustly and with faith? Are you, to be, are you the one first to be in prayer? First to be talking to God about your family long before you ever talk to your family about your family? Are you, are you instructing from the word like the father in Proverbs? Have you noticed in Proverbs... Solomon is speaking to his son. All the book of Proverbs is a father talking and instructing his son about everything. That's what a father does. He instructs his son and his children about everything, including in Proverbs, instructing them to listen to and obey their mother and to listen to her wisdom. Because, lady, because wisdom is a lady. So this father is constantly, responsibly instructing, leading, discipling his children. Are you doing that? That's what it means to lead. That's, it's, leading is not about you get to break the tie, you get to be the boss. Leading is about taking your people to Jesus and together growing them up with you to stand in the gate against his enemies. Leading your family is about showing them what it means to give sacrificial love. To take responsibility for everything. Fathers, you are the responsible head of your children's upbringing. Um, Ephesians 6, 4 again. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Do not provoke your children to wrath. You know how many different kinds of applications that is that there are for that? Do not live, act in a way. Do not have sins of omission and commission. Do not, do not neglect, abdicate, or be absent in such a way that you bring the wrath of God upon your children. You're their head. Do not do that. Instead, he says, bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord, which is the complete, um, uh, it, it's the complete entire culturization of the next generation into the family of God, his worldview, his culture, his ways, his loves. Your job is to make sure that's what their loves are. That's what a father does. Imparts his love for, the, for God the Father. And, and the love that Christ has for the Father and shows a son, shows the children, leads them into the same love. Husbands are to imitate Christ who sanctifies his bride with the washing by the word. 526. Your wife is to become more lovely because of the way you lead. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So in the same way that Christ loved the church, so husbands are to imitate with a masculine love, a love for their own wives. This kind of love calls him to be personally responsible for her before God. The love is supposed to be efficacious, 27, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. That's what Christ's love does for the church. So consider this optimistic love also, efficacious and optimistic love, which sees past all imperfections and creates a more lovely wife because of this love. But my wife's not lovely, and she's not responding to my love in a lovely way. Well, couldn't Jesus have said that about the church? 
But a love that is like Jesus is optimistic. Paul writes, I'm, I'm convinced of this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it till the day of Christ Jesus. Because I know the love of my son. I know the power of the Holy Spirit. I know where he's taking you. And then Paul writes, husbands, love your wives in the same way. The same optimistic love. Wherever, wherever your marriage is at right now, you are called upon to have the optimistic love that Jesus Christ has for his church. You're called to believe God to take your family into a more glorious place. Where, wherever your family is right now, where, whatever the situation, you are to be a man. You are to be a patriarch. You are to take responsibility. And you are to believe God. You are to believe God and act like it. With an efficacious, optimistic love for your wife, for your kids. Your love is to be selfish. Because, because Christ's love is selfish. <laughs> Is for his, he, he loves for his own body. He loves for his own bride. And you love, he says in, in 28, 29, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. So it's, it's selfish love. <laughs> Paul says you cannot love your wife like this without it returning in blessing on you. You love your wife and you find out you've loved your body. <laughs> If you have your head on straight, you will only try to, you will only try to love her. Remember, I'm talking about a, a masculine love. More, more and more. But you will also learn that you can never outlove your wife, which will protect the marriage from scorekeeping on who has sacrificed more. Because she wins, so we don't keep track. Your love is to be prayerful. If you imitate Christ, then your love will be bathed in prayer for her. John 17, I pray for them, Jesus says. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. If Christ, if, if Christ thought it was important, if Christ thought it was efficacious, if Christ thought it was good to pray for his bride, how much more should you? How much more should you? Constant intercession he makes for us, Hebrews 7, Jesus does. And because you want those prayers heard, you will treat her in a particular way because in 1 Peter 3, it says, Husbands, likewise dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Is your wife honored? Should I ask her? What will she say to the Lord? Is your wife honored? Is she, does she have a sense that she is heirs together with you in the grace of life as you walk together? Because he says, if, if she isn't, your prayers aren't heard. God says, no, 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 I'm not going to talk to you right now. Go back and do what you need to do to your wife first. You see that? First. So, um, and you, so you, want, you want to treat her in this particular way, even and especially if she is the kind of wife that needs a husband to pray for her. And then finally, constant love, verse 30. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Constant love. Just as a head is always listening and responding to the needs of his body, so he, his head, is always listening to and responding to the needs of his wife. This is constant, organic, ongoing love, like the love of Christ for his body. Brothers and sisters, this is patriarchy. I don't care what anybody else is defining it as. This is father rule. This is covenant headship. This is what it means to have a wife and a family.
And so in sum, God is our Father. God is our Father. And Christ is our husband. The cosmos is patriarchal and not egalitarian. And men who act like men, like the second Adam, are essential in the building, protecting, and providing for the world God has given to us. Go be men. Men, let's pray together. God our Father, forgive us for rejecting fatherhood. Forgive us for rejecting father rule in our society, even in our churches. Grant us repentance and raise up husbands and fathers who truly know how to imitate you and your Son, our Lord Jesus, filled with the Spirit and giving their lives gladly and sacrificially to their families, their wife, and their children, to the glory of your name, to the blessing that you have promised to those who fear you. In Jesus' name, amen.